0: This show is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to PlanetsidePodcasts.com.
1: Welcome to I Shouldn't Have to Say This, the podcast where we discuss topics we believe requires critical and nuanced thinking. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at saythiscast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at saythiscast or go to saythiscast.com to hear previous episodes.
0: Hey party podcast people. It is I, your uncancelable host, Nicole. And I'm joined there. here today by my co-host genre.
1: Yo, uh, and so you're uncancelable. Bull bull?
0: bull bull bull, yes. So Am when I uncancelable? So when you disagree with me about this episode, listener, just remember there's nothing that you can fucking do, but uh maybe not listen again. I don't know. Don't
1: Don't do that. Don't tell the people that. What are you doing?
0: I mean, if they hate me and what I'm saying, they should not listen or they can hate listen. I guess engagement works. Dislike the video if you're on YouTube or leave us a one star review. I I love it.
1: I am okay with hate with with people hate listening. I I love engagement. (laughs) Hey, Uh, hey, Hey, you know what? The world is better when people uh, can disagree.
0: Oh, no, I'm just saying the algorithm loves engagement.
1: Oh, I mean, that's true, too. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, So it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It all helps me. So remember, honey, if you hate me, um, remember to at me. Jack of three (laughs) trades, that's theories in the number. Anyway, we're talking about abolition and the issues that I have accumulated over a number of years of being in abolitionist spaces and just kind of generally out and about amongst the prison abolitionists. And this also applies to police abolitionists. They're often the same exact group of people, but they're slightly different issues. I really don't think that anybody is out here championing one but without the other, because um, that would make no goddamn sense.
1: But um, <laughs> I love cops and I hate prisons. What do the cops do? Mm. See people? Okay.
0: Can they make Spanish arrests? It. No.
1: No, because you don't know where the... Gonna put the people, are they?
0: But I love cops. They should be. Uh, I guess that would just be. You know, never mind. So <laughs> we're not going down that road.
1: <clears throat> where, where, where are we going though? What, what, uh, what's our target?
0: Our target is um, talking about my issues, giving my critique, and then giving my alternative. So sounds good. I want to start this episode by indicating to. Anybody who might be a little bit, um, have a knee-jerk reaction to this topic by saying, like, you don't really understand abolitionists, by, you know, uh, demonstrating that I do, and also, I guarantee you, I have more degrees and time in these spaces than you. Two of them, in fact. Actually, I got, uh, I have, I had three majors in college, most of them related to this topic, so... You know, Jesus. All right. You can absolutely at me about this. I don't believe you. And um also I've read all abolitionist literature and it all says the same exact thing, but we'll get into that in a second, uh, demonstrating that I know what I'm talking about. So when abolitionists are advocating for the end of the carceral system, let's just call it that, mm-hmm. they're typically doing that from a place where they view everybody in prison or who's ever had an interaction with a cop as a victim. The ultimate injustice of the justice system is the prisoners who are put in prison. Because prison is inherently inhumane and it is bad, and even if prison wasn't a miserable hellscape, For a human being, a a creature with the ability to tell when they are free and when they are not free, being deprived of one's freedom is one of the highest forms of psychological harm that you can do to a person, especially over a prolonged period of time. And I want to say at this point, I agree. These are all true. However, Mm -hmm. I think that this leaves them with a sort of um, gap in their thinking, and when they're communicating with people who aren't already abolitionists. Because for most people in society, and I would say that I also agree with this, that the highest priority is not to ensure that everybody is free. The highest priority in society is to make sure that when you walk down the street or when you're engaging in risky behaviors, that you feel safe. Safety is the number one priority most abolitionists are driven by the core injustice of prison. They really see uh, depriving somebody of one's freedom as an axiomatic evil. And I have to agree. One of the great psychic harms that you can do to a human being is to tell them that they aren't free and to deprive them of the freedom to do what they want. Most of us suffer under those circumstances.
1: Humans are social animals. We, it's part of our, our DNA. It's part of like how we stay psychologically stable.
0: Oh, I'm saying even if you were to deprive somebody of one's freedom and put them in a room with their favorite 10 people and they could do whatever they want, they would still feel sad because they couldn't have the freedom to leave the room.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So I'm saying that I think that most abolitionists probably think that this is the worst thing that you can do to a person almost. Putting somebody in prison and depriving them of their sense of freedom is a like fundamental psychic harm that you can do to a person and if you think about it you know when you put a child in time out they're not going through any sort of harm other than the fact that if they get up and they start walking that you'll put them back so this is something that we see emotionally as really bad from a really early age
1: i can tell you exactly like a, a good example I, uh, as I've said before, I'm disabled, so I I actually don't leave the house that much because I can't. But because of the pandemic, that ability to choose to leave if I want has been limited. And that is actually harmful. Like, I probably wouldn't go out, but I always had the choice to go out. And now I don't.
0: Yeah, that's definitely more extreme than I think able-bodied people have been going through. But for a lot of us, too, the people who've been observing COVID procedures and trying to stay safe, a lot of people say, like, you know, I didn't leave the house before, but you know, now that I can't, it feels terrible. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. So it's that it's the choice to be free. It's the idea of freedom that's important to us. hmm. So. Fundamentally, I agree that freedom is really important to our emotional well-being, and taking somebody's freedom away for long periods of time is bad for us. Whatever behavior you don't like, isolating somebody and taking away their sense of freedom and treating them like a caged animal isn't going to improve their situation. I don't like prisons, which is why I'm still an abolitionist, but- I think that this preoccupation with the fundamental injustice of imprisoning a person alienates abolitionists from the rest of society. Because, for the rest of society, freedom is not the most important thing. Or rather, there's another thing that supports our sense of freedom that we really value. And that's safety. So if you're a free American and you're walking around, you know, you can feel pretty safe. But if a guy is standing on the corner with a sawed off shotgun pointing it directly at you, then you feel a little bit less free because freedom without safety isn't really freedom. So most people want a safe society. The problem is abolitionists aren't really that preoccupied with safety or at least it's <laughs> it's certainly secondary to their concern about freedom and this makes them super dismissive of anybody who's interested in safety and that sucks because it means the movement doesn't grow easily because you know you can't meet people where they are yeah let me tell you every, like every time somebody mentions that there's an abolitionist they don't believe in prisons to somebody who's never been introduced to the subject The answer that they usually get is, you know, what about rapists? What about pedophiles? What about murderers? And immediately and uh, condescendingly, the abolitionist turns around and they say, well, rapists don't get time now. And you're like, so we abolish prisons? So they get, no, I want to put more of, I want to put more of them in jail. Um, And they say, (laughs) well, prison's immoral. And they're like, I don't want my rapist on the street and they're like that's fine but you know things might have happened to your rapist that made them into a rapist and they're like okay that's fine but i don't care <laughs> and then they say
1: <laughs> it just snowballs." i mean this <laughs> is this is the problem with an all or nothing attitude about about yeah. something like yeah. it, it, it for the most part having a s- solid opinion with no room for conversation or, or anything. It's just this or nothing is not really conducive to helping people along to your point of view.
0: Yeah. And if that sounds extreme, I have a literal story. It's not mine to tell. I, I, think i want to interview this person on the show so maybe that'll happen one day and they can tell their own story but until then let's just leave it at you know they were incredibly dismissive of their concerns it also Mm. makes a lot of abolitionist spaces extremely hostile towards survivors because amongst survivors of sexual assault there's often this rhetoric of kill your rapist and it's not really literally kill your rapist in some cases but you know It's people unapologetically being like, this person sucks, they ruined my life and I hate them and I don't feel any sort of need to stop saying that I don't, that like, you know, to forgive them because they fucked me up. Like, I'm really fucked up. And that type of shit is tough for abolitionists to handle because, you know, no matter how bad a person is, they'll often say restorative justice is the answer. But there are a lot of people that people just, you know, casually know will never change, or they can't believe it. If you talk to a guy who gets beaten by their dad for their entire life, if they think that their dad could be redeemed through a restorative justice process, they'll probably <laughs> look at you
1: and go like, bitch, <laughs> uh, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, I, I'm sorry. No. Um, no. <laughs> and, it's, um,
0: and abolitionists quite frequently just kind of shrug that off and say like, you don't understand abolition. You don't understand um, uh, um, uh, restorative justice, or my favorite. I'm also a socialist. And if we abolish the police and prisons alongside a gigantic social program, then there'll never then will. <laughs> oh my god! Then, then there will be no rapists and there will be no murders. And I'm like,
1: <sighs> Greg. Hold, hold on, Greg. Are these real people? Yes, are there are a sp- lot of
0: people who I have you've literally to
1: met. Wow.
0: So they really think that there's going to be such a negligible number of of criminals in the post-socialist society that we can just stop doing activities which ensure our safety or provide punishments to those, or accountability, not punishments, to those who fuck up. Jesus Christ. that's really frustrating because, you know, well, you know. We're not in alternatives right now, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but this is really frustrating shit to me because it chases victims of sexual assault out of these spaces pretty fucking intensely. There's only so much that you can do. I know somebody who was part of a abolitionist group and they paid the bail of this guy who abused his uh, girlfriend. Because, you know, nobody deserves to be in jail. And he comes out of jail and he immediately goes and kills his girlfriend.
1: Gee, shocker.
0: Yeah. And that's really frustrating because that's the level of t- of people that we're sometimes dealing with. And, you know, when I bring up these frustrations when I'm face to face with an abolitionist, they'll often tell me to go read this book or this book. And this will give me an alternative to a carceral system or some shit. And I'll go and I'll read that book and it will say the same shit. There are a lot of people in the abolitionist movement who think that there's never a type of person who commits harm against others for no reason, which bullshit. (laughs) We all respond to stimuli differently. But, you know, the murderer in Florida who was an incel who killed all of those sorority girls because he never got his dick sucked had a reason it's because he never got his dick sucked. That doesn't mean I don't want him under the prison, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I mention these types of things, oftentimes abolitionists will signal me to go seek out abolitionist literature because that has the answers to the questions that I'm looking for. And I usually look at them and I say... Is it going to tell me that people commit crimes for reasons? Because I fucking know that. (laughs) Is it going to tell me that rapists literally just go to jail? Don't go to jail now. Therefore, abolition, which doesn't follow, and they say no. It's new. It it doesn't do that. So, following that thread, I picked up a book called "We Do This Till We Free" by Miriam Kaba, who I a um, scholar and thinker uh, about abolition, who I really respect. However abolitionist literature is still at a 101 level if this is the best that people can point you to which oftentimes it is it says you know rapists are um are people too there will be less rapists in a more just world which is true we need to look at the why of why people commit crimes and you know there are exceptions. There are whys that are not valid for certain types of crimes. There are people who are too dangerous to let walk around us. And abolitionists never offer any sort of substantive criticism to or response to these criticisms, rather. It's consistently the same, rapists don't go to jail now, or um, there'll be less criminals when we start treating people better, um and when people say what about this exception they say well you're in bad faith because you're mentioning an exception it's like well it's not an unbelievable exception
1: it's it's really it's it's really just when when you say i don't think prisons should exist then when someone says but what about this this example they're not saying like this is a single person it it's just you know, like if, if someone's giving an example of someone that they think should be kept away from society, that's going to be hundreds of people. It, it's, it just sounds like when you're talking to to these abolitionists that are all or nothing, is uh, they, they just consider like, what what about a rapist? Then they just consider like one person and thinking about this one person that they're going to incarcerate. And they don't want that instead of just the example of these people that do exist and will always exist.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think that frustrates me about abolitionists is that I don't think that they realize that they aren't concerned with public safety because if they were, then they would give these concerns credence. The fact that they just so readily, just so like, you know, throw out a non-answer and keep it pushing or direct you towards uh, literature swearing that it says something different and it says the same exact bullshit and that's really frustrating for me. So over the years, I've been thinking about alternative strategies. Like, how do you meet people where they are? And this is really fucking sick. This is chat as fuck.
1: <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's hear it.
0: Prisons and police officers do not make our society safer. <laughs> what? Prisons no. have- What? Yeah. Prisons have uh, prisons around the world, but I'm going to talk about the United States, have a abysmal recidivism, right? People who go to prison end up going back to prison quite often because they come out to a society where they can't get a job because they have a record. Or because, you know, there was zero intervention for the reasons why they went to prison or they go to prison and they learn how to actually do crime. So where before (laughs) they were like selling cigarettes, now they're selling heroin or some shit.
1: Now they know how to pick locks. Yeah. Like
0: my my grandpa was a lawyer back in the um, just the entire 20th century. The man's almost 100. Um, And he saw so (laughs) many guys go to prison like he, he talked about one of the biggest, baddest gangsters in the late 20th century in Chicago. And he said, you know, I defended him at his first trial and this kid like just jacked something. And, you know, beforehand I saw him around and he would like go behind the rival gangs and he would flick them in the back of the head and like keep running. And they would like have these fist fights. when he got out. It was guns and it was drugs. (laughs) Uh, uh, So it's that type of shit. Prisons suck. They make a lot of people worse. And a lot of people who were bad to begin with just staged exactly as bad because these places don't give them shit. Now, how about cops? Well, you know, let's set aside. Police behavior for a second, even though that's a serious issue, and we should talk about how much shit cops just casually steal from people because they casually steal a lot of shit from people and it's really hard to get it back. But the other part is that cops fucking don't seem to have that much with the crime rate in any city. So I know that might be a little bit hard to believe, or maybe it's not, but let's talk about it. So in the United States, we have a lot of crime. Violent crime offenses in the U.S. per 100,000 people from 1986 to 2020. A lot of people think that um, the last decade has been really dangerous, like absolutely awful for the crime rate. And, you know, if we look at the actual statistics in 86, it was pretty high. It was around uh, 600 violent crime offenses per 100,000 people. Then it peaked around 1992, two years before I was born, at nearly 800 violent crime offenses per 100,000 people. And it continued around that level until it started tapering it off around the year of my birth, which is not a coincidence. It was me, in fact, who um, stopped (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry Um, it was me barry (laughs) it was me who stopped crime and um and from then on you kind of see the crime rate drop exponentially the crime rate just starts dropping there's a small bump up in 2008 and then it starts falling after 2010 when our economy stabilized oh i'm i'm sorry i'm uh i'm I'm giving away this, the secret. And then it starts going down (laughs) until 2018. And then there's a little bit of a bump in 2020. Now, during this entire time, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I think that it would be hard to make the argument that police budgets went down at any point. In Chicago, every year, cops get a um, budget increase. It doesn't matter what the crime rate's doing. If the crime rate's down, give them more resources to keep it there. If the crime rate's up, give them more resources to bring it down. If it doesn't go down when we give them more resources, then we give them more resources. If it stays down, then we give them more resources. There's no way the cops (laughs) stop getting resources. We don't start. So, you know. For me, cops have very little to do with safety. It's not really about whether or not they're cruel to people. It's that they don't seem to do what we tell them to do. For me, I think that it's very valuable as an abolitionist to make your argument as though you would support literally anything if it made society safer. So what I'll often say is, hey, listen, I'm not like those other fucking abolitionists. I want a safe society too. If you told me that I could whip somebody, give them a hundred lashes and set them on their way and they'd never commit another crime, then I'd support giving somebody a hundred lashes. The fact remains that giving somebody a hundred lashes isn't going to stop them from committing crimes. Right. So, you know, the things that we have right now don't seem to do that much. The wealth inequality doesn't seem that great for crime rates. It seems like the crime rate falls when people have the means to fend for themselves, which often in the United States has a direct correlation to the employment rate. So my alternative for arguing for the abolition of police and prisons is, you know, those don't work. You can't say that prisons work, they don't. You can't say that cops work, they don't. Now, if you think that we should settle for bullshit, that's fine, but I'm not a pussy, so I think that we should try to do for, go for more. Jesus in the Christ. limited <laughs> situations that we've used restorative justice in, we've seen pretty decent results. The fact remains that in order for restorative justice to work, that people need to want to go through that process and to be open to it. So that's one caveat. We shouldn't do it for everybody. If you walked up to the Green River Killer and you asked him, hey, buddy, are you super, super sorry? (laughs) Do you want to go through this rehabilitation process? He'd probably say, yeah, but um, he was like 76 sex workers deep into his rap sheet. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'd love to do some restorative justice. Then I get out and kill more people. That's cool.
0: Yeah, so, you know, judicious use of restorative justice can work. Fines are really useful. You want to know what stops people from doing crimes? Taking their fucking money, making them pay for shit. If somebody Mm -hmm. steals, if somebody embezzles, you shouldn't put them in prison. You should make them pay that shit off. There's no reason why anybody who commits a nonviolent offense should be sitting in fucking prison. Because there's absolutely no way for somebody sitting in a fucking prison to make amends. During the 2008 financial crisis, they put one guy in prison and they let the others go scot-free. And I'm not saying they should have went to prison, even though they cause an absurd amount of trouble. They should have had every single check they ever gained and every asset they had garnished to pay it towards the family's lives who they ruined. You know? Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, it makes more sense to me than anything else. And, yeah. you know, fines are bad for the poor. So, you know, if you're an abolitionist and you're thinking about that, yes, I know. So for me, I think that past a certain income level, fines should stop being a dollar amount and start being a percentage of your total assets.
1: <laughs> what if you have no assets?
0: Past a certain point point, <laughs> uh. and probably under a certain point. If you have like under like $20,000 to your name and somebody's asking you for $500, that's fucked up. <laughs> you should probably just take a percentage of what they have to pay restitutions towards whatever they stole. Like if They stole a piece of bread. They should pay for the bread. But, you know, I forget what group it was, but they had a concert in the middle of the pandemic in New York and New York fined them $25,000. I think it might have been the chain smokers. I can't remember. But they fined them $25,000 and they were selling a ticket for $25,000. So, wow. They made back their money, you know, on that fine if they sold one ticket, which they absolutely fucking did.
1: I mean, that's the that's the same thing with uh corporations that dump illegally or, or, or large companies that or like banks that, that screw things up, you know, there's a, there's a specific fine that they have to pay and they, and they're like, fine. But if they did a percentage of their assets or a percentage of their income, especially over, over the course of time, like a large percentage, then they, people would think twice because The the way you convince someone to do something, uh, sometimes you just gotta like mess with their money.
0: Yeah, uh, to that point, the producers of OxyContin got ruled against, I think, in the amount of $40 million. That's mm-hmm. what they had to pay to all of the families who they ruined with OxyContin. 40000000 million doesn't begin to get anywhere close to what they made off of selling OxyContin to people. You haven't even cut into their revenue at that point. It's a drop in the bucket.
1: Also, it that was, a, that was taken out of the company. But the actual family that owns the company, they they were protected.
0: They should lose their company. I mean, I'm being hyperbolic, but they should lose a huge. The company itself should lose a massive part of its profits, like or it, of its revenue. It should have to sell off businesses in order to survive. You know, it should be you. It's not only that. You don't get to profit off of the pain that you cause people. You have to pay all that money back. It's that you should also have to pay restitutions. So whatever they made off of oxycotton, you should charge them twice as much. So fines can work. Restorative justice can work. Uh, I believe that we will always need people to investigate things that go wrong. So detectives. But they don't have to be fucking cops. I mean, there are plenty of investigators, two white girls with a podcast, solving crimes better than any fucking cop can right now. Two white girls with a
1: podcast. And I, think, I mean, you're not wrong.
0: I'm not wrong. I'm just saying the way that we think about detectives and how they exist in the police system, detectives can exist in a system without cops and we should have them detectives don't need to have guns but detectives right now are dumb fucks <laughs> they'll hook you up to a lie detector knowing that that shit is bad science and inadmissible in a court and they'll deadass believe the results of the lie detector like it tells you anything they might as well flip a fucking coin at that point C- detectives suck everything about the in- the uh <laughs> culture of investigative of investigations right now just Is bad. So that needs some work. But that's part of why I'm an abolitionist. I think that we have to start over because a lot of these uh, threads that happen in law enforcement right now are irredeemable. And you can give them whatever rules you want, they refuse to change. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, even saying all of that, there will be people who will say, What happens when you have somebody with a gun? The other thing is providing people with the means to support themselves works. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have a problem with teenagers between with teenagers, like getting out after school or skipping school altogether and uh, selling drugs and doing all sorts of risky behaviors, the answer is not to put them in jail. It's to figure out something for them to do. And it's to make sure that they don't feel like they need to be the breadwinner for their fucking family. In 2017, there is a job program that they rolled out for um, teenagers, like, just, you know, to give them a little, like, part-time job. Mm -hmm. And the rate of crime amongst the people who were uh, enrolled in that program
1: dropped. Shocking.
0: Idle hands, man. They they aren't good. (laughs) You gotta give people shit to do, and also you have to make sure they don't feel desperate. So these are all things that work. We know they work. And also social workers going out and talking to people and dealing with the vast majority of crime that happens or public disturbances works from the data that we have so far. In Denver, the STAR program has been doing quite well. I need to check up on it because it's been a few months, but the first six months were incredibly promising. Nobody was arrested. Nobody got fucked up. And you know, The primary thing that the social workers that were involved in that program were saying is, you know, these people need food. They need water. They need mental health care. They do not need a prison because a lot of times they were going and finding like old, confused men walking through a restricted area. All you got to do is walk them out of the restricted area and give (laughs) them a hamburger. (laughs) Like, shit.
1: Uh,
0: This is the type of stuff that works. But, you know. And this is where I'm a Chad. I also think that guns will, a guy with a gun will sometimes be required, but almost never.
1: It's we, a really rare occurrence, especially yeah. in in the, with the crime rate that we have in this country.
0: Yeah. Most crimes are not violent. Like just flat out. Most crimes aren't violent. You don't need a gun. For violent crimes, you probably do need a gun. But the guy with the gun doesn't need to go out patrolling for violent crime. They need to stand in one place so you know where they are so you can get them when you need them. (laughs) Um, And, you You know, know, they used to. I don't think that that's a high it's like an unachievable bar but a lot of abolitionists are unwilling to even say you know yeah you know if somebody were to like pick up a gun and uh brandish it at this other person i do think that somebody should intervene a lot of people think that community defense is the best thing and let me tell you slide aside but if you think that it would be better if we solved all problems peer to peer you're an idiot like i don't i you know i have the utmost respect for most abolitionists but not people who think that we should be solving interpersonal and legal issues peer-to-peer because that's how people get killed i always think that we should have somebody to defer to it's just those people have to not be power crazed (laughs) and definitely not have the ability to murder us on the scene so there's that and finally you know if somebody were to say What happens if, you know, you did your big jobs program and you did all of this reform and there were no cops, except for the one guy with a gun who stands in the corner with a dunce cap on his head till you need him. Um, (laughs) And you have all your fines and somebody picks up a gun and they brandish it at somebody and they or like, you know, you got a rapist, like an R. Kelly type, like somebody who knows what they're doing is wrong, has never shown any intention or interest in stopping does not give a shit denies until they die is an absolute shit sack i would say you know faulty wiring we don't understand it uh there's there's a reason why r kelly even r kelly did what he did he was an abused child but none of that is an excuse and my priority is safety so in the prison he goes but important caveat my friends And we're going to circle all the way back to the beginning of the episode. A loss of freedom, the knowledge that you are not free, is enough of a punishment for anybody. You do not need to torture them. You do not need to feed them crap. You can treat them like people. And, you know, a prisoner will still suffer if they're living a completely normal life if they know that they can't mix it up the next day. There's yeah. no spice of life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you cannot leave the premises. All of that shit sucks so much that you don't need to do a single thing more to them. You don't need to harm a hair on their head. You don't need to torture them. You don't need to put them in in isolation. You don't need to do shit. All Just you need take to do their freedom
1: away and is put them in a room with a TV and a
0: computer and and the knowledge that they are being watched and that they cannot leave the room that's enough and that's the and and you know that's a chad fucking thing i haven't made that argument to anybody who's not like completely deranged who hasn't said like oh well you know if that's what abolitionists said um then i guess i'd be an abolitionist
1: Yeah, it's not that hard
0: yeah but also another thing that bothers me is that you know these are all high lofty goals that i've set out here we cannot flip a switch a lot of people think that we should Abolish the police and prisons right now and let everybody out. I completely fucking disagree. Oh my god, <laughs> that sounds like a terrible fucking just idea. Are you kidding out. me? Okay, just let them out
1: without any training, without like some people been there for for decades, without any uh support, without prison, any like, prison
0: fucks people it, up. They need it, yeah therapy. It's psychological torture. Yeah, so I think that there's a really Obvious and nuanced way to offer up a plan of police abolitionist or police abolition. And it's going to sound like incrementalism, and that's because it is. But frankly, (laughs) this is what we have to do. The police get an increase to their budget every year. So, what happens if one year in my city, I'm going to talk about my city. What happens if one year we just decided, you know, rather than increase the police budget, we're going to take that money and we're going to invest in the community (laughs) like we're just going to try and get people some jobs. We're going to finally fund the units of um, social workers. We're going to give this a real try and a real and give them a real budget. We're going to see what happens. And, you know, that's a trial. We're giving them a trial opportunity. and. They and then we watch what happens, and when it works, because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that it will work or we'll see promising results the next year, we continue to raise it. Um, and if we continue to see better results than we're getting from the police, then. We keep raising it, and at a certain point, if, you know, the crime rate is low and we don't need as many people roaming the fucking streets with guns, then we start scaling back the police. And if we start scaling back the police so much that we no longer need them, well, oops, poof, there goes the police. Oopsie doodle. And if we don't have police, a lot of people aren't being imprisoned. And, you know, if we combine this with education about the prison system, then maybe people start seeing prisoners as human beings. And maybe we start seeing prisoners as human beings, we treat them less like shit. And over time, if there are far fewer prisoners um, and the money investment is way lower in keeping them, we can increase their quality of living if they must be in there. We can work towards the society that we want without pulling the rug out from under us. But the most important thing is that this works with normies. This works. If you say, hey, I know that you're afraid of getting rid of the police because you think that they're the only thing that works. So what happens if I wasn't even recommending that we get rid of the police? What happens if I just said, let's give this a real try? Like, we need to keep trying stuff. We don't have all the answers. We know this. So why aren't we trying new forms of dealing with violent crime if we're seeing that the old strategies aren't working? Just, you know, testing this shit out. And also... I don't know if this shit works. You don't know if this shit works because it's never been done. We have a lot of promising trends, but what we're talking about here and what abolitionists talk about all the time has never fucking been done. So, You do need to show people evidence that it works. And you can't do it with a couple of people. You can't do it with a handful of people. You need to do it with a real fucking trial. And that trial needs to have money behind it, resources, and the support of the community. So that's the episode. Just sell them on on testing out different strategies and slowly sell them on abolition when they realize that it's more effective than this bullshit they've been doing forever. And, you know, the side effect is that it's better for the people and that less people are in prison. And also, stop fucking bothering survivors, you weird motherfuckers. <laughs> and that's the real episode. That's, that's all of my issues with abolitionists. Um, it's that y'all are crazy. <laughs> uh, and you don't really care about growing the movement because you don't pay any attention to the concerns of normal people You're just interested in being right. And being right doesn't make our world better. Convincing other people that you're right does. So yeah. But I'm still an abolitionist though. Fuck police. Fuck prison.
1: (laughs) Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you love our web extras? Do you love our extra episodes that you can hear uh, only on Patreon? Uh, Wait. You don't? You haven't heard them? Well... Golly gee, I can help you out. You can go to patreon.com slash say this cast. If you sign up as a $10 patron, you'll be able to hear our wonderful, weird, funny, extra episodes about different topics. There's one about when I was canceled. There was, there's one about uh, my adventures with the, with a doctor. There's, there's stuff about, um, should Nicole buy a video game? There's, there's just so much there. And of course you don't want to miss that, so go to patreon.com/save cast. And thank you. So usually this is the time in the show where we talk about, you know, like happy things, silly things, things that are uh, distracting to us or, or something. But I wanted to mention something that is really important and really special we're recording this on the first day of October thank God it's October I love October uh, but uh, the the 29th of September uh, would have been my uncle's 68th birthday uh, he passed um, it a while ago um, back in in 2001 actually January of 2001 and uh, but he's a musician, and we had a lot in common uh, in the music that we we like to perform and like to sing, and um, even our voice quality. Uh, he was a really important guy, not just to me, but obviously to my entire family. Um, we, my mom, sent out an email uh, that day, like saying, like, oh, it's, it was Uncle Eddie's birthday, and and uh, here's some stuff about him. And he had this song called Lady Liberty that he wrote with a friend um, named uh, John uh, Cucci, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And it's really, really good. Uh, it's an original song. And honestly, the first time I heard it, I thought it was like a cover of a schoolhouse rock song or something. It's, it's about the Statue of Liberty. They, uh, they wrote it um, when uh, the Statue of Liberty was getting uh, restored and i wanted to play a little bit of it now just to share it with you
0: walking down the river is fine by me if lady liberty stands by me the dream of a world she's holding in her hand her silence there is heard around from the liberty belt to northern towns patrick fields and south across the land around her, brought immigrants that found her, bridging the gap to be free. 400 years she stood strong and tall, then came the time for us all to help repay the debt our nation owes. Thanks to you her new torch shines from every nickel and every dime. We brought our lady a brand new set of is calling to continents to join in as allies together we are one when times of terror have come around our foes try to stare us down but we stand toe to toe and eye to eye because in strength our peaceful ways must stay alive in future days
1: So that was Lady Liberty or part of Lady Liberty by my Uncle Eddie and my, and his uh, friend John Cucci. Um, and I, there is a, the whole version is on YouTube and I will link that in the description of the show and in the show notes and on the website Uh, that is saveuscast.com. Like listening to that and thinking about him, it was, it was painful But I think it's good to think about those who passed just just to keep them in our memory and also to remind us of the really great things that they did. He was a teacher. um, He had a great family. He was a wonderful uncle. uh, And I just want to pay some tribute to him. So, um, yeah, that's that's all I uh, he, He was really important to me, so I wanted to talk about it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to I Shouldn't Have to Say This. We put our episodes out every two weeks and you can hear them on saythiscast.com uh, or on any podcast service that you like. Or you can go on our YouTube channel, which is also linked to the show notes. Uh, we put our episodes out on podcast first and then the week later, we put the episode on YouTube. So you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening there, then leave a like and, or, uh, or a comment, or, or anything like that, remember to subscribe and I don't know bell thing and everything like that. If you're listening on podcast, if you can leave reviews uh, on your podcast service or anywhere, then that would be really, really, really helpful for the show. And of course, uh, pass it around to your friends. Uh, Nicole, where can we find you online?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Jack of three trades. That's three is in the number. If you want to cancel me, remember to at me. Um, (laughs) Retweets are fantastic. I love it. Where can they find you?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at press start lock. And you can also quote retweet me and, and at me and everything Uh, cancel or anything. It's happened before it'll happen again. (laughs) so um all right, you any did get canceled ha! say what
0: all right you did get canceled ha!
1: i did get canceled by tankies it was it, that was a wild day <sighs> the music that you're hearing right now is by the one ups it is called kanamari taino um it is um Cover of Katamari Domacy is by the one-ups, line- and the links to purchase that song is in the show notes as well. Uh, I should have to say this is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, you can go to Planetsidepodcasts.com. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm the first in line. Honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. <laughs> <the> hmm. What? Let <laughs> me, me Let me go. Take a chance. Take a chance. Take a chance on me. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Mm-hmm. F- uh, uh, ba Da 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 da